Funding for Start the Beat is provided in part by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out the last episode. If you're one of those people, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and thanks so much for coming back. But for everyone out there who's new to the show, welcome. Feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. Cheers, people of the internet, as I drink a water, nor beer, nor soda. Yum. Delicious mountain water. So I am sitting here today with a couple individuals from a band you may or may not know, but by the end of this hour, you will know these motherfuckers. So please make some noise for my friends, Bob and Eric from Royal Honey. Woo! We got a Bob Eric's in there too. He just has to say something to appear magically. There he is. <laughs> how you doing, my man? I'm well. How are you doing, man? Doing good. What about you, Bob? I'm awesome, brother. Couldn't be better. Cool, cool, cool. Thank you for being here today. I am excited to get to talk to you. You got some new stuff that's on the horizon, and I feel like this is one of those conversations that's been a little long overdue because I know pre-pandemic, you were a very active band in the rock community in like a basically a category of bands playing with a circle of bands that I don't really interact with a whole lot outside of my podcast. So it's cool to finally get to talk with you and get your individual takes on, you know, being in bands and the music scene from your perspective, because it's as small as this city is when it comes to all the niches of music scenes, it's pretty dense. Yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. Totally. Depending upon where you're at geographically to, Oddly and weirdly enough is stronger scenes like, you know, like um, um, a Polish hill is real like strong crust punk like that, you know, then you go more into the city. It's more rock and roll, garage rock, punk, like traditional punk, so many different kinds of music. Electronic scene is real strong here. So, yeah, there's that's the one thing that is super duper cool is I feel like no matter what style of music you play, it's not too hard to find a home here in Pittsburgh and you know let's just take it to the beginning here Royal Honey when did the band start getting together and making music that came out of a uh, um, well the first time that, uh, that I saw these guys we were putting um, putting Royal Honey together we were actually all doing an ACDC tribute night at the Brillo box that Metal Mary put together to benefit some uh, some animals at the animal shelter and um, buddy of mine from a band called Argus uh, my old singer put a put kind of a makeshift band together and um, we recruited Angelo uh, to drum in that and um and then the the four Royal Honey guys without me when they were just infancy they barely even had a name yet. Um, they jumped on that bill uh, at the last minute and did a couple ACDC songs as well. So it was a really fun night. Um, no real expectations, not no pressure. Um, there were a ton of cool bands. All of our friends were on that bill, and uh, and it was just an, an outstanding night. And that's when. Um, I basically had to like reintroduce myself to those guys. Um, you know, I'd been talking about like, Hey, I want to, I want to rejoin the music scene and I'm looking for some people to play with. And the dirty charms had just kind of decided to, to call it quits. And this is all, all in 2018, like April and May of 2018. And, um, I started planting the seed with Bobby and Ange, uh, Angelo, our drummer. Um, you know, if you guys if you guys start something new out of the ashes of the Dirty Charms, let me know because I'm looking. And and uh, after we all played ACDC songs um, in two different two different for two different bands, Angelo played twice that night. Um, I think they all kind of uh, you know looked looked at me and said, "Hey, we've we've got the remnants here of some Dirty Charms. We've got the remnants of Gas Tiger, and Eric can play some guitar too." So. Um, that's how it came together. And those guys were already working on seven or eight tunes that Dave music or guitarist had written. And, um, I came in and just started learning them and we were off to the races. We, uh, we played our first show in July 
of uh, 2018. So we're two and a half years in now. Cool. I feel like it's not even that fair to say you're two and a half years in because the past year barely counts, depending on how you decided to use or not use your time. You know, what was it like? I mean, I guess, you know, I, I'm not too sure about Bobby, but for you, Eric, you had mentioned that you were looking to get back into the music scene at that point. So how long had you been unactive in the community? Well, I've bounced in and out of it a couple of times, but the last time I was um, active to the point where I would call myself committed and full time was literally back in college. I was in a metal band called Child of Fire back in uh, 92 and 93, I think. And then uh, and then I played bass. I moved over to bass in a band called Kick and Grind um, with uh, Chip, my buddy Chip uh, Dominic. Um so I've played with all these different musicians and then Chip happened to play bass, you know, on that ACDC gig. So I, gra- I grabbed Chip, I grabbed Angelo, um, uh, Balich sang, and he's my old singer from Child of Fire. He's in Argus now. And then uh, my buddy who was in all those different bands, uh, he was in a bunch of bands with, um, with Ange uh, and also was in Child of Fire with us. Um, his name's Gary Martin. He's out in LA now, but he flew in from LA for four for, to play four ACDC songs with us. So, um, but then I spent, um, I probably spent 20 years, um, raising kids, doing outdoor stuff. Um, I would bounce in and fill in for people a couple of times when Gary and Angela needed some help. Um, if they'd lose a member or they have to fire somebody or whatever, um, they'd ask me to, to step up and help out for a couple of gigs. I, I went up and played New York city with them one time, um, but nothing full time. And then I knew I was looking to get back into it. So um, it had been a while. Cool, man. Now, uh, Bob, what's like your background in terms of just being involved with all of this absolute nonsense? <laughs> so for me, it's, it's for me, it started probably like in 86 when I moved up here from Fort Lauderdale, which had like a much stronger scene at that point. And I came up here and we were playing the foggy bottom, like VIPs, um, top Charlies, any underage shows we could play in a band called lies. And so we were like a image glam band. Um, did mostly covers, but we had originals, but my voice was always a little more growly and harder edge. So it wasn't your traditional, um, glam band for that era because we weren't like all melodic and stuff. It was more, uh, an Alice Cooper kind of thing or more of uh, Ian Ashbury mixed with that in there with a lot of, um, uh, just, ridiculous stuff like putting lollipops in my pants and pulling them out and throwing them at girls, you know, (laughs) goofy crap like that. I mean, it was the eighties. So it was awesome. You could do anything, lots of tight pants, you know, goofy (laughs) nonsense, big hair, you know, so super fun. Lots of pastels. Yeah. That type of thing. Okay. Um, So through that, um, I actually left and went back to Florida um, I was in a couple different bands and then I totally was out of it for a while too. I did a retail gig for a while, moved back to uh, Pittsburgh here and then uh, hooked up with Ange, um, who I'd always wanted to play with and uh, Rocky. Uh, and we um, kind of started this, ironically enough, this band behind us, which was uh, Muscle of Love, an Alice Cooper tribute band, which then sort of begat a different morphed version of the Dirty Charms. From that, we then became into uh, the band that we are now, Royal Honey. And Gas Tiger was a little offspring of that as well. And uh, somewhere in between there, I got involved with the Molecule Party and sang a couple hooks on their last thing. So uh, we've got that going on, too. So a little bit of everything. Um, and then through all of that, um, Excuse Palooza, which is a, a music festival that... Uh, we do out of excuses there in the South side to raise money for the women's shelter kind of was spawned out of all of that as well. Awesome. So this really isn't a question that is directly involved with either of your previous projects. But one thing I'm really curious about is at this point in both of your lives, how sick are you of trying to find a new name for a band? Oh yeah, that's why Aunt, we let Ann's name that. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't do any of that. We're in fact we're not allowed. Um, yeah. Ann just so good at it that he loves it, and and 
And I'm not saying that's why Ange has been in so many bands, but he definitely doesn't mind when a band changes names because he love, he's got two columns. He's ready to go. If you need a band name, he he's he's for hire. You could you could you know he's on commission. Uh, he's got you know as long as you want a two a, a two word band name, he's got a left column and a right column, and it's like mix and match, and that's what Ange does. <laughs> that's awesome. So you know, in terms of this past we'll call it, you know, year and a half, two and a half years, whatever that Royal honey has been a band, you know, what is it about the spirit of just like rock and roll that makes both of you want to continue to do this? Because it's like, it's a lot, it's a lot to drag gear across town and invite all your friends to come out to gigs and writing songs and getting together. I mean, what is it for both of you that has you still fired up and like seemingly very positive and in love with this world? Start with Eric or unless you got something to say, Bobby, I always have something to say, but we'll start with Eric. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I mean, I've always loved it. I've always been a, a creative person. Um, and then, and then probably the absence is what made me, you know, want to do it so much. Again, I, it is a commitment though. There was a, there was a time, you know, 15, 10 or 12 years ago when I was drumming in a Kiss tribute band and I was trying to, you know, actively be a sea kayaker at the same time. And, you know, I handed uh, the guys in the Kiss tribute band, my list of dates in the summer that I couldn't play because, I was going on trips and I wanted to see the world and I wanted to, you know, kayak with whales and stuff like that. And, um, and they looked at me and I thought, Oh, as long as I give them the dates far enough in advance, this will all be great. This will all work out. And they looked at me and they were like, are you quitting? And I'm like, no, not at all. And they're like, you're quitting. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> so that's when I realized I can't do really both at the same time. So I spent another six or seven years backpacking and kayaking and kind of scuba diving, seeing the world. And I knew at some point I was going to give that all up and put it on the back burner. And, and I was going to recommit to music. But at the time, I just wasn't ready. And then my kids got older. And a couple years ago... Um, you know, I knew, I knew the timing was right. And then I just, I wasn't going to settle. Um, I wasn't just going to play with anybody. So I knew that I, I wanted to wait around and be patient and find the right people because if I was going to do it again, it needed to be fun. It needed to be no drama and it needed to be good. And, you know, you can be an average band and you can have some fun, but it's going to dwindle out if, if you're not any good and people aren't coming. I was, you know, I, I, I did my time playing to, to 15 people, two of which were my parents, you know, seeing us at Mancini's playing, uh, you know, they would, they would, my mom would drag her herself out to watch us play, you know, an hour and a half worth of metal tunes, which was making her ears bleed. So uh, I did not want that anymore. And I knew that, um, I knew that these guys, you know, had the pedigree. I knew that they had the experience, they had the talent, and I knew that they had the the look and the sound and the attitude and that people liked to come see them. So that's why um, they were my first choice of who I wanted to play with. And luckily the opportunity just came up. Awesome, man. Well, that's good for you. What about you, Mr. Always Something to Say, Bobby? <laughs> so I, I would say for me, I'll keep doing it as long as the material is good. And as long as people show up and even if people don't show up, the material is good and I'm really into it. I'll do it. I'm real lucky that I've been able to play with a lot of creative people um, that pretty much come to the table with songs ready to go. And all I do is just add my little flair or whatever I do. Um, I also love to do it because it's an event reason to go out and um, I'm the center of attention in the event. So that's a better reason to want to go out and do it. So that helps motivate um, but, uh, I think as long as people are interested, as long as there's something creative to do, um, I'll, I'll probably do it until I can't do it. Anymore. We'll be like the rhythm aces playing at excuses every Saturday for the rest of our lives at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, no, that's, that, I think that that's awesome. And honestly, as somebody that is like going through his like 
mid thirties. What am I supposed to do with myself sort of bullshit in my head? It's always nice to talk with people that have been in the game a lot longer than I have and are still as excited about it as I normally am. It's very like inspiring and good to know that like, Oh, like I don't have to stop doing this because of X, Y, or Z. Like if I still have this fire inside me to do it, I just need to fucking do it and just shut the fuck up about all of this other like, well, what about this? What about that? But I don't know. I guess it's natural. Did either of you ever have that sort of thing where like you were like, should I keep doing this? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I dropped out and was like, I'm going to make a ton of money being a retail star. Mm. And I was a rock star and I worked for journeys shoes, which was kind of, rock star-ish, right? So I kind of kept that vibe still, but I was a total corporate sellout for a large portion of my life. And I got to tell you, I had some good times, but in the end I was sad and I got thrown back to the music. Totally, totally. Now, uh, Eric, I already kind of know, uh, I don't, I don't know if you had that necessarily that backstory or that experience. It seems like in that time you were already kind of like out of the music as you had already mentioned, Eric. Now you gentlemen have a new thing coming out on March 12th, a, a song, I believe Absolutely. A, a recorded piece of music that, that may be available on this new internet. This, this internet thing that people were talking about. It's so new. I don't even know about it. Um, <laughs> um, let, let me know yeah, we're, what's up. With we're the releasing track. a single. It's called cut and run. It'll come out on, uh, on March 12th. Um, it's the first single coming out from a new batch of songs that we're uh, finishing mixes on right now at the vault studios on Neville Island and, uh, and it'll be released on the vault records. Uh, so we'll do a single in March and then we'll do probably another single and then right, you know, right along with the, uh, with the album release in May, uh, earlier mid May. And then we're open, you know, we're, we're looking at, uh, putting our CD release cause I'm really dying to actually play in a, a release show, which is why none of this stuff came out last year. It was all supposed to come out last year with COVID. We just kind of sat on it because I didn't want to release a CD with no release show and nobody to release it to. Sure. Um, so we sat on it, uh, but yeah, now it's coming out. Um, cut and run. This goes. Uh, this goes back. You know, this was in the original bulk of songs that that Dave brought in, and it's a. Uh, it's been a fan favorite for two years. It's got a real catchy chorus to it that um, that everybody can remember. It's danceable. Gets the chicks' asses moving, and um, <laughs> and now we're uh, we're happy to finally put it on. You know on tape, I guess. And, um, like I said, we'll back that up with another single and the full album in, um, in May and by album, it's actually, uh, it's actually, we'll actually end up being about a seven song EP, EEP or, or very short play, I guess well, there I'm, should be an SP for, well, uh, for short play. I, I think like, you know, seven, eight songs is normal. I mean, you think about like all the old, like Metallica or David Bowie records, they're all like seven, eight song things because only so much music would fit on an LP. And, yeah. uh, I, I think that that's like the perfect amount of music. I think like if CDs did anything to, destroy music it would have been giving people this opportunity to just like stuff albums like i don't need to hear 15 songs from anybody at one given time i just like it's too much i'd rather just cut the fluff give me all the good stuff <laughs> yeah you're i mean you're on that brink between the generations um i think we all love you know the guys our age we all love albums we all love you know listening to 12 songs at a clip or whatever. And even if you have to flip the album over, but I just remember sitting, you know, sitting on a beanbag chair in a dark den and, and, you know, with the, with the cans on and just immersing myself in the music. And that's all I wanted to do. You guys have short attention spans. Now you want one song, if a, if a full song, and then you want out. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, I'm definitely, I mean, what I'm saying, I, I do listen to, I, I love albums. I'm definitely an album hey, guy. Show. 
Get get hip. He has a show where he reviews albums. Don't you know anything, man? My God. <laughs> well, I know that, but still, he's part of that younger generation. You don't see. You scandal. don't see all those things. You don't see all those things behind him. Those are called albums, Eric. So he listens. <laughs> no, I get. I, I get. What, he's aware of that. No, I get what you're saying. What you're saying was, is though, is that like I am in that in between generation because there are people that aren't that much younger than me that are definitely more like I just want to release singles and that's all I want to do. Um, right, and I'm on the I'm somewhere in between where it's like I don't know what the right thing to do is because I just put out an album with my band and I was like I wanted to do an album because I wanted to mm. press it on record so but I I a more interesting conversation actually now that we're talking about like new generations versus maybe older generations or whatever would be modern rock production because you just mentioned you recorded some songs and recording music has changed so much over the course of the past couple of decades, particularly the last decade, um, just modern techniques and abilities to do things. Granted, you recorded at a place that I feel is probably embracing more of an old school approach to recording. But, uh, you know, what are both of your individual takes on just modern rock production? Go ahead, Bobby. So um, from, from, I guess, like a lo-fi perspective, I would say, especially with my friends who've done um, electronic music around here, it's been perfect, right? Because they can work out ideas and do everything that they need to do and get almost anything that they would have done in a studio only at their own time and being able to work with it when they want, mix it down and then send it out and have it mastered. That works very well for a lot of people that I know that are in that genre of music. I think for rock and roll and sort of that garage rock thing that we have going, we could probably do either or it's just really nice to be able to go into an awesome studio, like the vault that has the Neve board in there. Um, that's recorded so much rock and roll history, um, certain sounds, you know, that you get a recording in those studios, I think really matter. And just people who know how to use their equipment matters the most so on either side right i've heard some excellent recordings that have come out of uh you know people's houses that sound amazing and then i've heard great recordings that have come out of great studios like that we we get uh, the pleasure of recording it in the vault so that's my perspective absolutely what about you eric yeah i think that um i want to say that the probably the most um I, I want to say that pre-production costs have probably dropped the most, and that's a significant thing. Um, everybody can work out their ideas now. Uh, you, you know, I try to think of how many ideas uh, Aerosmith had that got lost simply because they didn't have the technology to document them immediately like we do. I mean, almost every single idea I have now gets documented somehow because the first thing I do is I hum it into my phone so that I don't forget it. And then you've got the ability to take that and, you know, put it on uh, a cheap um, home studio, like you run in Reaper or something for free. And for 99 bucks, you've got an interface where I can, you know, I can basically, I can do everything except provide all the talent, you know, like, <laughs> I've got the drum set, I've got the bass, I've got the guitar, and I've got a vocal microphone. Now, I can't play all of those well enough to, you know, to make great songs, um, but I can bring ideas to the people who can make them into great songs. And then we take those, you know, we make them into, into better idea into, you know, in, we make them into, into something solid. And then you take that to a studio at the, like the vault, and then you start paying real money and, you know, but but the amount of real money that was wasted on pre-production and stuff has just I think that's the biggest significant change that has gone on in over the years. And that's probably a good thing. I mean, not necessarily a great thing for, you know, the guys man in the studios and stuff. But I'll tell you right now, the, the, the vault isn't doesn't have any vacancies. I mean, they're they're not hurting for work. So um, somebody's recording and that's a good thing. Yeah, no, I think that having that ability and taking advantage of the resources to demo out your own material is crucial and every band should be doing it. Even if it is just like little, you know, half baked ideas here and there, because with our schedules, we can't get together four, five, six days a week. But if, you know, say your band 
can only get together once a week. But everybody else from the band, like maybe one guy can work on ideas while they're at home one night and somebody else works on something. At least you have work happening in the background. And when you all get together, then you're able to be like, well, I was working on this. Check this out. Check this out. And it's like easy to share things with each other through the internet again. And uh, if you're not taking advantage of that, that's like a huge missed opportunity, I think, for bands these days. I agree with you. I couldn't imagine what it would be like. Cause I mean, I started basically making music myself um, with making like hip hop and electronic music on a computer, like in a DAW. So I basically learned like making music and recording music and producing simultaneously. So it was like really weird for me when I first started playing in bands because it was a little bit before the whole crazy internet revolution. Like the internet existed, but it wasn't in everybody's pockets. So, right. you know, we didn't have like Dropbox and all of this other shit. So like being in a room with people that was like, Oh, we're like writing these songs and we have to remember these ideas. I'm like, this is so weird. Cause I'm so used to just like, I record something and it's there. And if I want to like mess with like the length, I just copy paste something. I'm not used to like working with other human beings. It was very strange, but now I'm very used to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the cassette recorders and even prior to that, when I started really tinkering with stuff, my dad still had a, a reel to reel tape, uh, tape deck. And, um, I can remember when I first figured out that it was two track, um, uh, it was probably, I can't remember if those were, I think that was two track. Cause I don't think you could turn that over and, and play it the other way. So I think it was just two track left and right channel. And when I figured out how I could record one guitar on one channel and one guitar on another channel, I thought that was, um, I thought that was the best thing since sliced bread. I was like, Oh my God, I can actually get some ideas down here. And I was probably, you know, I was probably in ninth grade, maybe, maybe even earlier. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, so you around that time in your teenage years, you're starting to get into like playing music. You're already listening to music and everything like that. Right, Eric? Yep. All right. So Bobby, when was your like musical awakening that you decided that you were going to, you know, get a cool jacket and get on stage? <laughs> well, the jackets have come recently, but <laughs> I got on stage back in the old days. Um, I had friends uh, that were like performing artistry, but I was a little bit more like jockish, I guess. I played football, and um, but I had friends that were like uh, long-haired kids that were in performing arts and were always into it, and always liked rock, um, always liked uh, metal. New wave was real big at that time, so um, I was really into that, those genres of music. So I always kind of was there, and um, a battle of the bands happened the year after high school and uh i kind of fit the suit like johnny bravo right i knew the words i fit the suit i got out there i wasn't afraid and i was like hey i can act like ass and chicks are really into this and i'm wearing pink and they really love it this is awesome so then i said yeah i'm so totally never going back to college and i just (laughs) blew my hair out and that's kind of what started the music thing and my parents thought i was totally a lunatic and disowned me for a period of time there. I remember I came home with blue black hair and I got thrown out the very next day. So <laughs> fantastic. I remember that pretty. Yeah. I can remember that pretty, pretty well. So, um, it was probably just the affiliation with my friends. And then once I saw that I could do it, you know, it, it takes a while, you know, it took probably a good seven or eight years of just being horrible and being only image oriented. But back in those days, People weren't really, and there wasn't even alcohol involved either. That's a crazy thing. It really wasn't. It was just like young people going out so excited to see something so different and on the fringe or weird or like androgynistic. Like they were like so into it that anything you could do to piss people off. It it was like the only way I could say, and this is a really bad, bad uh, correlation, but would be like, I felt like, I guess I was like, tech six nine right like i would do anything at all to be like obscene and outlandish we got shut down lies got shut down for like two or three shows right in a row where they shut us down and i think it was because we were doing it's so easy and i said it's so fucking easy and they like shut us Uh. down like boom boom (laughs) but just by word of mouth and california university radio playing our songs the shows started getting packed out like crazy. And it was the weirdest thing. And we were really not very good. It took us a while to kind of get our sea legs, but it was interesting <laughs> to say the least. That was our friend, Natalie on, uh, on Cal U station. She used to play all that metal. 
Do you know Natalie? Uh, it's Cardinal, right? Cardinal. Yes. Natalie Cardinal. Yeah. From Cal like, do you know her? I do not. She's uh, she's still around. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's her. Uh, everyone knows maiden. her. Yeah, the metal maiden. She used to play. I, I can remember, you know, being stuck in my room on a night when, when, uh, yeah. I mean, we weren't old enough to have driver's licenses yet, and the one guy in the in the neighborhood who did have a driver's license was, you know, was was away or off or something, and I'd be stuck in my room and nobody was going out, and I would have I would have the California University of Pennsylvania radio station on, and that, and the metal maiden Natalie would be on, and it's funny because she's you know she's a friend of a lot of ours now. And and um, she's always in the scene. That's that's where you could always hear your best, like underground metal that you wouldn't hear anybody else, like Overkill or like mm-hmm. Metallica or Megadeth when nobody would play it. But in between would be like local bands, you know. And she would always talk them up, and she'd bring them in. She was one of the first ones that I can remember ever doing that. So yeah. that for me was like really key. So I don't even remember what the question was. And I hope I didn't babble too long. Oh, no, I was just asking about, you know, your origins and what it was like starting and getting involved with everything. You had mentioned at the beginning of this, um, this was in Florida when you had started doing all this stuff. Yeah. So uh, Fort Lauderdale. So in Fort Lauderdale, you had a part time life, as you said, a quote, jock type of person. Right. So my question is in the South and in like Florida, is there as much of like a stark difference between like what would be like the jock kids and like the alternative kids? Or is it like since it's Florida, sports are more of like a normal thing? Uh, I think it's probably very similar everywhere you go. Okay. Right? You, you had that divide. Like at that time, it wasn't quite that defined, right? They were known as heads. And those were people who would go to the smoking area and smoke a little weed and listen to Rush. Those were those people. And then you had people that played sports or you had people that were performing arts or you just had people that were just going to school. So those were kind of like the classifications. But you would have a lot of crossing over a little bit more than that. But there were divides, you know, like your heads typically didn't get along with the athletes and vice versa, that type of thing. But it was never anything quite as much as like uh, fast times at Ridgemont High. Sure. Sure. I was just curious. But it was similar time period. Sure. Sure. I was just curious because of it being like Florida. And I was just wondering like what the, the social dynamics would be like in a place, you know, like the sunshine state or whatever the hell Florida is. Right. Like if I think, I think everybody's parents usually tried to get them into sports at that time, at least at that time, because music now and the arts is a lot more open, even though ironically enough, they cut it back in school. But I think people are more open to that now than they were at that time. You were kind of on the fringe if you were trying to be in a band, you know, in like the 10th or 11th grade in 1984 sure. you know, or 1983. Sure. In a lot of ways, I imagine like the, the subculture that it is these days was just starting to kind of blossom at that point in a lot of ways, especially for like heavier, more alternative styles of music with, you know, your relationship with sports has it stuck with you in any way throughout the years are you still like a fan you watch games at all or are you kind of like removed from it oh yeah yeah oh no 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 i'm i'm a huge sports fan as a matter of fact i have my uh tom brady uh the goat you see okay uh, the seven rings i see i I am a buccaneers fan for a long time it's just ironic that brady went there i always admired him i like great sports i'm a big fan of football and I do like basketball, I mean, uh, baseball, but it's very difficult to get behind the Pirates, unfortunately, because they keep trading away all the time. Fair but enough. I do like baseball as well. I'm curious about, you know, your relationship with sports and being like a performing artist in your own way. Is there kind of like that, like performing aspect that a lot of players have that draws you to it? Just like the larger than life personalities, just like kicking ass on the field. Is that like what you love? Like, what do you love about sports? Um, or just I the game? The compa- well, I think the, the game itself, I'm always a fan of the game itself, but I think competitive nature, um, teamwork, working together, uh, even in like work situations at my current job, I can tell people who've played team sports and who haven't who understand and get the concept. Uh, 
when you're when you're in a band with people, you can tell people who are a little more creative versus guys who are like part of the team, you know, and, and part of the team usually always becomes a lot better, a tighter situation, a lot more creative long term. Yeah. But sometimes you have to sort of put your arms around the creative people to get them to understand that concept. You if that makes sense. Yeah, no, you honestly like completely just fell right into the next question I was going to ask, which was just going to be, you know, this relationship and this understanding of teamwork that you maybe learned through sports, being able to take that into the music and art world, I think is very, very crucial because for whatever reason, there are a lot of people that kind of missed the teamwork memo in the music world, which I totally get because I mean, a lot of like artists and musicians uh, come from that sort of like, um, introverted background, not necessarily team players, but they're really good at what they do. But then, you know, when they start playing in bands, it's hard to get them to uh, really connect and open up with each other. It's something that, you know, I struggled with when I was starting to like make music with other people and, uh, you know, having that teamwork and experience with it, I think is huge. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Eric, do you play any sports growing up? I did. Um, I actually tried pretty much everything except football because that was the one that my mom thought I would get killed at. So, <laughs> um, but I probably spent the most amount of time actually playing soccer. I grew up playing soccer and then I refereed and then, um, and then when my kids all went through, I, um, I, I got involved like heavily involved on, you know, the coaching side and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I was pretty active in it. Uh, you had mentioned also before about, when you were playing drums and the kiss band that you, you had to uh, air quote quit because of what was it? Your white water kayaking or something. Would you say? Yeah, I'm was, a kayaker, was, not white water. Well, but, so, um, <laughs> what did he say? He was kayaking with orcas Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> off the coast yeah. of Alaska. Yeah, not Alaska. Yeah, but I was, and uh, we were doing kayaking in the Pacific Northwest and the Great Lakes and off of Maine and stuff like that. I'm a, I'm a sea kayaker, an ocean kayaker. Okay, so, that's what it was. Um, you know, not as much of a team sport, although I mean, you know, individually you're in all in your own boats, but Yo. uh, you know, we're all looking out for each other's lives. Listen. and and. <laughs> Listen, I have never kayaked in my life, okay? <laughs> but I'm going to tell you this. I already know that kayaking has to be a teamwork between you and the water. Well, yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of teamwork <laughs> between you, the water. <laughs> right? It's like you're like like a teaming with Mother Earth. Like, yo, yeah. keep me alive because I'm doing some unnecessary shit right now, but we're having fun. And a little <laughs> bit of Jesus, too. I mean, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, so, it's I mean, it's it's weird. It's weird when you put when when you have to go out and and you know you're you're basically trying to hit an island that you can't see because of fog, and you realize like your life could be in the hands of these other people that you've chosen as friends, and you're like questioning whether you chose the right people to be with. <laughs> sure, sure. It's probably it's probably not too dissimilar sometimes from being in a band. No shit. When when everything's exactly melt, yeah. everything's melting down at the gig, and you're just like, man, did I pick the right people to be on stage with? Yeah, especially if there's a uh, a violent crowd and they're not exactly into your sound, then that's when you you. That's when I wonder how much fighting experience I looked for when I was interviewing these guys. Sure. No, the correct answer is that's when tempo strikes up. You get out of there quick. Get yeah. it over with. Get out of there quick. <laughs> you know, I would say, so I, I was born in 1985. I'm a child of like the eight, or late 80s, early 90s. Um, and in the time frame with the music that was super popular when I was growing up, I was exposed to so much stuff. So I kind of came up in this scene where it was like, it was cool. It like wasn't weird to like the Beastie Boys and Smashing Pumpkins. Or, and Rage Against the Machine or Green Day, like, you know, all those big bands at the time. Like, it wasn't weird to like all that stuff. And then whenever I started playing shows, there's never been this like, oh, there's only this type of crowd of people at the show. Like, I've never personally experienced like the sort of like vitriol that I've heard people that, you know, were playing in shows earlier. Like, like, oh, if you were like 
loud enough, people would boo you off the stage and throw things at you. Like I've never experienced that. I kind of am mad that I haven't because I would love to be in a room that chaotic. But have either of you actually experienced things like this coming up maybe in the 80s or 90s where like crowds were more violent or angry if like a band was bad? I've got a two-part answer to that. The the first one is that from a from a playing perspective, um, you know, most of my early career in college, I would have hoped for any crowd. Um, <laughs> so you know, a violent crowd would have been better than than most of the crowds we had. Um, we did have. Uh, I remember a run-in with another band. We did. We used to play um, when I was in Kick and Grind with Chip. Um, in like 1994, 95, we, uh, we used to play this place called the Cove, um, in Geneva on a lake, uh, in Ohio. And that place could get kind of rowdy. And we opened one time for a Doors tribute band and we weren't sure really if our, if our style of music was the right fit for that. And so we were worrying a little bit and then we ended up having the most issues with the actual band members of the other band um, and none of the crowd. But um, but then to on the flip side, I actually did see a brawl. Um, I saw a guy in the crowd go after the singer of a band at the Smiling Moose because of what they sounded like. Really? Yes. Wow. I don't remember the band name. That's uh, phenomenally I just, I, adolescent. I just remember being incredibly embarrassed for our town because they were not from here oh oh man what about you bobby any stories uh, yeah i mean my experience was so like back then it was really like if you were a poser right so like if you were makeup type pants in that you were like you were a poser now if you were a metal dude like black hair you know riding the lightning shirt you were a metal dude you weren't a poser so you had to face that cross but my band, we played covers on both sides, and that kind of sounded like I did, and our songs were kind of glam, thrash, so it was kind of a weird thing. But what we would get would we would get the dudes standing. It would come to your show, they would pay to get in because there was chicks there, then they would stand at the back and judge you just like this. They would just stand and like look at you and give you the judgmental thing like that. And then in the parking lot, you would just be called a poser, you know? That's kind of it. That's probably the worst I ever really faced. Sure, sure, sure. I've definitely, I've personally experienced sort of like animosity from other performers and not so much from people in the crowd. Um, there, a couple times there's been people that have like yelled shit at me in between songs, especially when I was starting out um, doing my hip hop stuff because... I wouldn't play hip hop shows. I would always play with my friends that were in rock bands. So I was always out of place and any, anything that was ever said to me was kind of like welcome and also understood. I had like a surprisingly, a surprising amount of empathy for the people in the room. It's like, well, you didn't ask for this. So I guess if you want to say something about it, that's fine. Like I realize I, I kind of, I'm forcing uh, this down. Your yeah. Throat, I know what's so going on right leave. now. Yeah. I know what's going on right now. And like, I was, you know, in hindsight it is 2020 and I was pretty obnoxious at the time because like I didn't have a band or anything and I had that like rock punk energy. So I'd be like rolling around on the floor and yelling and all this stuff. And it's just like, what I is this? I would love to see that. <laughs> I was like, what is this? this? Uh, I would probably love to see that. Probably. Now, actually. I would love to see that. Probably. That would be awesome. I'll t I tell you, I, I mean, I, st I still roll around as much as my back will allow me to. I'm starting to, you know, it's getting to that point where I need to actually start like exercising and taking care of myself if I want to keep rocking and rolling. What is the two of you's like personal experience with like performing and just maybe your body not being able to do the things that it used to do on stage and things like that. I mean, Eric, you've been kayaking and things like that. So you're a reasonably active human being. I imagine <laughs> maybe, it's I don't know, maybe that was a long time ago. I'm not too sure, but, but what, like, how are we taking care of ourselves? What should I do? What is some advice that the two of you can give me so I could <sighs> be rocking, you know, another 10, 20 years from now? I would just drink heavily. That, that's <laughs> what I've done. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, it's like the, some of the worst uh, shape that I've been in and, and not, not on, like I remember 
I remember rolling my ankle, jumping off a drum riser one time to the point where I think I heard the crunch oh. and, you know, and, and there was just no support on the ankle at all. And I, I'd like, I basically almost fell. I, I stayed up somehow, but I ended up like off the stage. I had so much momentum and, and then, you know, I got my composure and I just stood there and all the adrenaline and all the blood went to my ankle and it started swelling up and throbbing. And, you know, I basically just hobbled back out on stage behind the mic and then just stood there the rest of the set. Um, but that ankle has never been the same since, man. It was a, <laughs> oh, no. it was a stupid boots with the, like the one inch heel that I forced myself to wear. I should have known better because I'm a big guy and I was trying to, I was trying to dress the same as all the little guys like Chip and Gary and Angelo, like the, like the, the guys who look good and, and know how to dress and, you know, and, and they don't have to go to the, to the Huskies part of the store to shop for their stage clothes like I do. And it's like, you know, I'm like, I, I, I should just know better. You know, I, I should have been, <laughs> I should have been looking at what killer Kane from the New York dolls was doing and, and figuring out where he was getting his clothes back in the 70s because i never figured it out and i tried to tried to stuff myself and and wear the same boots and i'm like you know these boots are made for 95 pound people and i am not 95 pounds so um yeah i, I rolled that ankle <laughs> i'm sorry to hear that man what about you story, buddy? Uh, what was the question again? I'm so sorry. I got so wrapped up in picturing Eric with some big platform <laughs> killer cane boots on, potentially rolling his ankle coming down off a drum riser. <laughs> oh no! Um, the the question was just like advice. Fit. <laughs> advice for taking care of yourself. So you know, in the next ten, twenty years, whatever, I could still be on stage and giving it my all. Like, what have you yes, done as, all, as a fellow frontman? It's all it's all in the mind, my man. Uh, try to try to stay as active as you can. I guess I'm not the right person to really act. I don't do anything at all. I eat like a 12 year old. Um, I eat. I drink minimal water. Um, tequila is my favorite drink. Um, I, I'm really not the best person. I've experimented and done a lot of things I shouldn't do, and I'm not going to talk about it on this because my mom might potentially watch this. Who's still alive? 81 years old. Hi mom. How are you? Hi mom. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I, I would just say try to just do everything in moderation as much as possible when you can. Uh, how's that? Sure. 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 I think honestly, the first thing that you said, that is the wrong screen. Let's go back. That's the right one. Anyways, okay. the first thing that you had said, uh, about it all being in the mind, I think was probably the best answer because in terms of everything, I think when it comes to remaining positive and productive and happy about playing in this band, when things may not go the way that your, you know, delusions of grandeur may want them to go. Uh, I think it really is all in the mind and like how, like what do you expect of yourself and the band and like, are you actually excited to be there and just letting that adrenaline take over every time you're on a stage, regardless of if there's, you know, 20 people or 200 people or 2000, whatever, you know, I think that it's really all in the mind for sure. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like I said before, if I felt that what we were doing wasn't fun or wasn't creative or wasn't into it, I would, I wouldn't do it. But I think that's never going to happen. Hell yeah, man. So again, uh, the single is coming out on March 12th. This episode is releasing on the 16th, which means that human beings on planet Earth with active internet access can listen to this song right now. It is out officially uh, at the time that people are listening to this. So before we wrap everything up, because we still got a little bit of time, but I want to make sure that we get this out there. Where can people like find this song? So the song will be released uh, on all major channels, all major, um, you know, streaming media, all of your uh, Apple music, your Amazon music, uh, Spotify. Um, if you want an actual uh, CD in May when we release it, um, that'll those will be available at our shows. We'll definitely have CDs. Uh, and then you can find all of our music past and present um, at, uh, well, a couple of places. Uh, the, the, 
probably the easiest point of contact would be to go to royalhoneyband.com uh, and then you can get basically anywhere from there. But if you also just do band, I'm sorry, it's uh, royalhoney.bandcamp.com. Um, our first album, which was called uh, Hype, Money, and Misbehavior is there. Uh, you can find some couple of singles, a couple of bonus tracks uh, that we've that we've done for compilations here and there and um and then the new stuff will be there as well um once it's available once it's out in may so awesome so the last point of questioning the last line of questioning that's how you fucking say that that i want to give you (laughs) has to do actually with the internet and social media and being musicians that have like basically you were playing shows at a time when, you know, the only way you promoted them was with a staple gun and all the telephone poles you can find up until now where it's like, Oh, we better start, you know, hashtags are the new staples in a lot of ways. Right. So what has it been like being, you know, just acclimating yourselves over the past two and a half years, you know, as the band has gotten active on social media and playing shows and promoting shows, like what are like both of your relationships with social media? Do you think it's, you know, a good thing for the future of music or do you think it's the devil that's going to ruin everything and destroy us all? Um, I like it because it's immediate gratification. People can see it. You can interact with people. Um, I'm not a social media mogul by any way, shape or form. I only do Facebook. So I'm really bad as far as that's concerned, but I'm open to anything. I just, um, that's the only thing that I'm semi-relevant at um, working with. Um, I do like that you can get shows out there to people that you may or may not have seen. Um, You also have that potential of, uh, you know, uh, I guess with anything these days, but going viral, uh, which could uh, at somewhere uh, have some payoff, I would guess. So I think that it's very valid. I think you have to do it. I mean, you know, look, we just had an administration that you had the leader of the free world, uh, you know, tweeting on a regular basis. So to say that it's not relevant uh, source of media, I think would be very foolish. Yeah, my thoughts on it are that, I mean, I'm, I've been, you know, an IT guy forever. And so I've never really been afraid of technology. I've generally embraced it. Um, what, what I what I don't like is that I don't understand social media. It, I think that even on the best day, the smartest people still don't understand how this shit works. And that is by design. I think that, and that bothers me. Like I, you know, you and I have talked about this, like, I think in the past where it's like email to me seems so much more reliable because I know that goes to everybody. I don't understand the algorithms. I think it's a clusterfuck when it comes to, you know, why do you have 2,200 followers and only, only 12 of them see that you have a fucking show coming up that bothers me. Um, but I I'm, I guess I'm not afraid of it. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here, man. Okay, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, I, I was yeah, just I, I, let, <laughs> I was letting you get your thought out, man. I could tell it was it was coming out, and yeah. I feel that like you know social media is incredibly important. It's a great tool, but it's also a total fucking scam. Like it is. Oh yeah. The only thing that it is really there for us to do, like the only purpose that it really serves, is to sell us shit. It is really just there for us to sell stuff. We can take this kind of punk rock approach and try to like subvert the system and promote our dumb little events and songs that we put out and things like that. But that's not why these infrastructures exist. We're just kind of like the annoying little insects of the social media world, the artists that, that you you can't kick us off because you, you know our data is just as valuable to anybody else. But uh it's I wish there was uh, some at least just like some sort of a place for artists in general, even outside of music, um, a place where they could like congregate and people that aren't artists, people that are just fans of music could go there to engage specifically with that content and not have to worry about 
all the other stuff that like you get bombarded with, whether you're on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, or whatever else, it's too much in a pot. You know, it's like the equivalent of going to a shopping mall and there's like in between every store, there's a kiosk and everybody's trying to sell you stuff and have a sample. Try this, try this, try that. That's like what going through Facebook is like for me now. I'm just like, oh my God, I get me out of here. Chappelle's show you had a great skit on it back in the day. I don't know if you were a fan of that show or not, but Chappelle's show had the best one of what the internet actually is, which was basically walking down and people trying to sell you stuff with porn sprinkled in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's crazy to think that that was so long ago. And like at the time, it seemed relevant. But I feel like if we knew what it would be like a decade later, a lot of us would have probably been a lot more concerned it's been this natural slow burn where you know i don't think it's the end of anything um or anything like that but it is definitely kind of creepy when you look back at times like that and skits like that where it's like wow this was very prophetic in a lot of ways (laughs) it's kind of wild it also makes me question like i think some attempts at what bobby was talking about like or 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 what you were talking about sykes where where things are a little more specific um like bands in town tried to do what we all wanted it to do where um where we wanted to kind of eliminate all that chaff and all the noise um and just tell me when bands i'm interested in are playing and for some reason that kind of seemed to come and go very quickly um i did facebook buy them that's probably why i mean um I just don't think the general public gives as much of a shit as we hope they would. That's really uh, what that's- it boils down to. It's like, cause those, those services aren't going to thrive unless people outside of our community start engaging with them. But the problem yeah. is this, like what this means to us is like, you know, for other people, like it's like, such a small fraction for them, which is totally yeah. understandable. Again, with my empathy, it's just like, it's uh, what are you going to do? You know, and it would mean more to them if they weren't inundated with 50,000 other apps that are trying to vie for their same attention too. So I get it. I mean, there's, well, there's an let's, app for- let's, let's, let's all remember this at the base of all of this MTV used to play music videos. That's yeah. all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There were, there were, a very, very. They were very, very relevant at one point. Like if you were in a band, you had to get your record company to put into a video because that was going to sell. Now, just look at it. Unfortunately, they don't even play videos. Yeah, uh, it, you have to go to YouTube. You know, it's funny because there was that time frame when MTV stopped playing music videos and I was probably in my early twenties at this point and YouTube wasn't quite a thing yet. So there's like a whole generation of music videos that were filmed, but didn't really air anywhere that I never saw until like the past decade when like, you know, I go to like look up a song and I'm like, Oh, this song had a music video. What the hell? Why did I never see this? And it's like, Oh, cause there was like nowhere for this video to exist really i know that like on there was what mtv2 they had that but that you had to like that special cable package and then there was like some other networks like fuse was a music palladium net- yeah yeah palladium palladium i think was a european version and that ended up mtv buying i think maybe it's mtv live now i don't, I don't really know i, yeah. I can't because anytime i flip through like uh, maybe once every other year they play the first hour of mtv and that's all you get And that's just ludicrous to me. I can't even believe you would have stations named music television that don't play any music. That's crazy. to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's really interesting. I wonder how much MTV like starting to, cause like they still focus on the culture of music in a lot of ways, a lot of like with the reality stuff and a lot of like, tabloid-esque gossipy sort of things i wonder like how much of that really ended up like allowing social media to become what it became because it's like people have always loved art it's just that like social media like made the art less relevant and the person more relevant like a lot of times there are people like you had mentioned i think you brought up takashi 69 a little bit ago and it's like that's somebody that would never yeah there's there's no way that that person would have ever existed without the internet and the personality 
that guy needs to be hired by some marketing firm. That dude knows how to incite people and get people to buy product and buy into what he did. He, from the beginning, if I've watched these documentaries, recently, it's become my obsession because I'm just so obsessed with how somebody in this day and age could become so huge. But his objective from the beginning was to become the villain. So he did an excellent job of it. I mean, nobody that I know of in this generation can I remember like that kid right now. But hey, you know, you know what they say: nice guys finish last, right? Hey. So hey, yeah. I mean, the Joker sells as many action figures as that. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, before we get lost in the weeds anymore on this topic of social media, I think this is a great place to put a cap on this conversation, but. Both of you are always welcome back anytime. I've been doing a lot of live streams and things like that that are more loose where we just kind of get on Twitch and just bullshit and talk about whatever. So if either of you ever want to come on, Eric actually came on and we promoted the uh, the SOS stuff. But uh, right. Bobby, if you ever want to come on and yeah. chat some more, uh, I think that, yeah, I had a lot of fun talking with you. But at the same time, an hour is a lot for people to listen to. And if they're still here, God bless them. Amen. Exactly. God bless them. So <laughs> do either of you have any final words for anybody that may still be here with us before we wrap things up? Hey, just keep rocking. Stay positive. Love somebody. Be nice to somebody. <laughs> Go see some music. What are you playing against, Sykes? I have no idea, my friend. I, I have no idea. We actually got a... Um, there's a message in my inbox that I haven't responded to yet that appears to be some sort of an offer for the summer. Uh, I'll, I'll need, I'll need to think about it. Um, it's just like, I, I, I don't really want to do anything unless I know people can be there. You know, like I don't feel like dragging all my stuff across town for no reason. No, I hear you. I think, I think that uh, we learned something from last year and that's that, you know, even through COVID lockdowns and whatever else, people want to see music. And if they can do it safely outdoors, um, it you know, I, I think that a couple of places and people took some chances last year, just kind of dipping their toes in the water. And some shows did happen. And I think that those were successful. We didn't see numbers, you know, spike um, until until it got colder around here and and people started going to holiday gatherings and stuff like that. So um, I think that having learned that, I think that there's going to be a lot of outdoor stuff this this summer. I'm kind of expecting it. And um, and we're kind of on our tiptoes, you know, waiting for those offers. Millville got, I don't know if you're, you're part of the Millville Music Festival, but that got pushed back uh, to August this year from when it's usually in May. Um, so we'll be on the Millville Music Festival and, um, uh, and then there's some Rock for Life series festivals that happen up in, um, up in the Salzburg area. Uh, and we're on one of those in July called Gigaroo. So we're actually looking forward to and embracing the outdoor stuff because I think that people can do that safely, uh, even if they have to stand in the rain to do it. And I think that that's the one thing with having no shows, you know, not much in the way of shows the last year, people are jonesing for it to the, to the point where they're like, fuck it. We will go stand in the rain. If, if, if it means going to see a live band, um, and I'm down with that. So, you know, we're waiting around, hoping it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. Same, man. I, I, I hope that I can. I have, you know, I've, I've a do whole... yourself a favor mentally, Brian. It will make you feel a lot better if you play at least just one show. And then the first one may make you feel better about the second one. The first one's tough to do, though, I, I admit, because when we started playing when COVID happened, it was we were a bit worried about it, you know. And um, it, it's they're, they're being very safe in most situations, I would say. And as long as you feel good about it, you do it uh, creatively. It will make you feel better, and it makes other people feel better too, which then makes you feel better again. Totally, totally. Like I said, I mean, like I'm, I'm pretty much ready to go, and I think that uh, everybody in my crew is too. I'm mostly just concerned with uh, other people not being ready to go out, and it just being like, you know. A, a waste of time but 
We'll see what well, happens. It's never, it's never a waste of time. It's never a waste of time. You, you learn something every time. You, you, my friend, have toxic positivity, but I like it. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it a lot. That's so, the tequila. <laughs> yo, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, That's why we keep them in this band. Toxic positivity. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's awesome. It's fucking awesome. You guys, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Uh, check out that song. It's on the internet now and all of the places that they have yep. all the places they have mentioned i will have if i'm smart enough i'll have a link to it in the description that's either above or below our heads right now or if you're just listening to us and not watching check the description for some info on that and with all that being said i'm gonna do my outro and that is all folks thank you so much for being here one more time bobby eric royal honey i'll be back again next week with another episode same time Time, same place, same channel. You know the drill. My name is Sykes. Start the beat 2021. Woo, woo. Thanks for listening. And we are done, my friends. That is a podcast. We made it happen. We made it happen.